Welcome to the City Life Podcast. I'm Tim Woody, the pastor of City Life Church in downtown Fort Worth. There is purpose for your life. There's a destiny you have yet to walk into, and there is hope regardless of what you're facing today. I encourage you to open your heart now to what God will be speaking to you over these next few minutes. While the ushers are passing the baskets, I just want to welcome you guys again to church, and I'm wanting to dive into God's Word. So you need to get your Bibles, get some notes out, some things to write some stuff down on, because I believe what happens in this atmosphere is God not only speaks uh, through the Scriptures themselves or through me, but God will, will customize what I'm saying for you. That's actually how the Holy Spirit works. See, every single one of you, you're going to find some different things. You're going to hear some different things, and that's how God speaks in these settings. So I want you to open your hearts, be receptive, and get ready for what God has for you today. So go ahead, and uh, and while you're getting your Bibles out, just to let you know that we have this new, I've started this new series, and this is my third week into it, and it's called Crushing Offense, and it's about just getting rid of every type of offense that, that, uh, that, that plagues you and pulls you down, because we all deal with it. You know, what happens is when a person becomes offended, they're basically unreachable, they become inflexible, and we become unreasonable when offense happens. And you've seen that happen, right? Right? You've seen that happen with people, and you've experienced that yourself, right? Okay. Well, that's for you and for me. And I think Solomon said this really, really well. He said, a brother offended is harder to be won over than a strong city. And their contentions separate like bars of a castle. So offense is ugly, and we're going to crush it today, and we're going to get this thing done. All right, so go ahead and locate uh, Genesis chapter number 50, verse 15 in your Bibles. Genesis 50, 15, and hold your place right there. While you're looking that up, just want to remind you that Tim at 12 continues each Wednesday at noon, and you can get that on the City Life app, on our Facebook page, on our YouTube channel. But, but uh, this, this week I'm going to be, as we're continuing through the book of Hebrews, uh, I've, I've uh, entitled this week's message, Show God Your Gratitude. And, and this, this is actually one of the very, very solemn warnings to Christian believers that we find here in the book of Hebrews. And, uh, and, and there are some statements in there about how our God is a consuming fire and that everything that can be shaken will be shaken. So what does that mean? Those are real scriptures. What does that mean to believers? Well, I'm talking about that Wednesday on, uh, on Tim at 12, so I really hope you'll join me as we uh, continue with the series I'm doing on Wednesdays, which is a Bible study. It's called Demolishing Lazy Christianity. All right, well, today's message is entitled, Humility Wins. Humility wins. And humility is much more uh, potent than most people think it is. Uh, You know, humility isn't weakness at all. It's this powerful display of strength. In fact, people who are being baptized today, you are demonstrating humility, and humility shows itself in power. And what happens is, is as you uh, walk in spiritual authority, you're going to find yourself walking in humility at the same time. Water baptism is kind of foundational with all of that. But what does humility have to do with crushing offense? Well, I'm glad you asked. It actually keeps you out of the ditch. It keeps you out of the ditch. And I'm 
warning you today to beware of the ditch of offense. Now, now, now if you're driving somewhere and something jumps out at you, uh, you might react and end up in the ditch, right? Those, those things happen. Uh, but, but you have to remember that you are the one who's steering the car, just like you are the one who's steering your life right now. And you're actually in charge of your own actions. Now, I learned this lesson when I was 16 years old. I had my first car. It was a Datsun, a 19, let's see, it was a 1978 Datsun 510 Silver. Oh, yeah, baby, yeah, that was a, that was a classic back then. That was my first car, and, uh, and I, I had bought it or was in the process of buying it from my parents. And, and uh, what happened is I was driving down the road one day in wonderful Odessa, Texas. Any of y'all know about Odessa, Texas? Yeah, wonderful. Is it wonderful? None of y'all think it's very wonderful. Shh, in case any of my relatives are watching right now, just because I have a bunch of them who live in, what, in Odessa. Just, yeah, we, we, love, we love Odessa. We love Odessa. Mom, we love Odessa. Okay. But uh, we don't like it. You see, see <laughs> but when we were out there, I was, I was, dri- I was driving this, this, uh, my car down the road, and I hit this hole in the road. And, and as soon as my, uh, my tire, my wheel hit that hole, it blew the tire out. It literally bent the rim, and, and, my, and my car, I mean, I, I, I guess I lost control of it. I'm not quite sure what happened, but I ended up in the other lane, and I hit another car. My car then spun around, ended up in a ditch, and it was really quite an ugly situation. Well, as I wrapped up that whole incident, I, I, thank God I came away from that without, you know, without my body damaged or anything in any way, and I walked away from that, and... Uh, but, but I walked away with a ticket, a citation. See, the Odessa Police Department felt that I was, gave me a ticket for this. I'll never forget it. Looking at the ticket, think of what? It says, driving on the wrong side of the road, not passing. I'm like, what? I wasn't driving on the wrong side of the road. I mean, I didn't say that to the officer, but that's what I felt. I mean, I'm a 16-year-old kid, and I'm there by myself. And, the, do- and the, the officer was telling me all that stuff. And then he said, okay, here's your ticket. Get out. And he left me standing out there in the middle of the street. I, I don't know if they still do that anymore. My car had been towed away. And there I was standing there in the middle of the street. And I like, well, I guess I need to call somebody. <laughs> Didn't have cell phones back then. But, but I, I was really, I was just am- amazed at what, what he gave me a ticket for. So I decided I'm smart enough to contest this ticket. So what I did is I, I had this, the court date was there for the ticket, and I showed up in court. The officer was there, and the, and the judge was there, and, and I explained. My dad went with me. My had that good backup right there. You know, you got your dad with you. Everything's going to be all right. And I got there, and I had to stand right there in front of the judge, and I pled my case, and I explained to him what happened. And, 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 and I, I just said, please understand, this is a three-foot-wide hole in the road, and it was probably about six to seven inches deep. This is no little, small little hole. And, 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 and I couldn't see it. It, was, it took up, like, you know, most of the lane that I was in. It was full of water. I didn't know how deep it was, and I hit it. And then my car just kind of went over into the other lane. He said, oh, so you were driving in the other lane, but you weren't passing, right? I said, no, I wasn't driving. He goes, oh, yes, you were. See, he said, you have to be in full control of your car all the time. I said, but this isn't my fault. The the fault is, like, the city, they should have had that hole fixed. He said, no, it's your fault. You did it. And 
It doesn't matter that you hit the hole. It doesn't matter that your tire blew out. You still got on the wrong side of the road and you hit another car. And he said, you're going to have to pay the penalty for your misdeed. And so I had to pay for the ticket. And I was very, very upset with the whole situation. And you know what? Offense is a lot like that. I mean, somebody did something to you. They said something to you. Or maybe they didn't do something that they should have done, and it caused a problem on your end, and things are going kind of crazy in your life because of something somebody else did. And so you react. But when you react, you end up in the ditch or driving on the wrong side of the road. And you're, you're frustrated, and you're angry, and you're hostile, and everything kind of goes wrong. Well, the best way... To deal with this, the best way to be unoffendable, the best way to crush offense is to embrace humility because humility wins. Do not be lured into the ditch of offense. And it's a choice. I mean, you're at the wheel. You are in control of your attitude. You're in control of your actions all the time. I mean, today... Uh, as we celebrate water baptism, uh, you know, before we, before we do this, I'm going to share just this quick, brief little story that we find in the Bible. And, and this story is one of the most powerful stories in the Bible that really is on the topic of offense. You may have never seen it that way before, but it really is. And this is about a violent and horrible offense that was perpetrated by some family members upon another family member. And, uh, and things went kind of crazy. Now, in this story, the person who was offended responded with humility. And this person stayed out of the ditch of offense. So this is a positive illustration of how we can act in life. And this person continued going toward his destiny, and, and he reaped incredible rewards in spite of the horrific things that were done to him. He was humbled. So as you're cruising down your own life and you're in your car <laughs> cruising down your life, I'll tell you, I guarantee you will have the opportunity to get offended and you'll have the opportunity to get offended for some very, very, very good reasons. Oh, this one today is very good reason to get offended. But how you respond has everything to do with how or if, maybe if you're going to resume your journey, if you're going to continue to make progress in your life. So, you, so really, overcoming offense, uh, crushing offense, has everything to do with humility. Now, Jesus, uh, in his great teaching on sinful offense, and this is in Matthew 18. We're going to go more into depth in Matthew 18 next week. But he pulled a child into this group of people, and he used this child as an illustration about the attitude of living offense-free. And he said this in Matthew 18. I'm going to read it from the message version of the Bible. He says, unless you return to square one and start over like children, you're not even going to get a look at the kingdom, let alone get in. Whoever becomes simple and elemental again, I love those words, whoever becomes simple and elemental again, like this child, will rank high in God's kingdom. See, children don't get offended very easy. See, they, they haven't learned about fear. They haven't really learned about all this stuff of distrust that plagues us as adults. See, children simply believe the best, and they 
live out humility. So, again, humility wins. That's the title of the message. And Jesus said, childlike humility, it will keep you out of the ditch of offense. It will keep you from being in there. And it will, it will keep you out of it. Even if someone shoves you in, you're going to be able to get yourself right back out. Now, humility is not about inferiority. And I also want, want to make this clear. Humility is not some method of embracing or allowing abuse either. And we'll talk more about that in, in my next message. But really, it's about crushing defense. Here's my definition of humility. It's a working definition for today's message. Humility is the childlike attitude of limping simple and elemental. I'll say it again. Humility is the childlike attitude of living simple and elemental. Now, when my first son was four years old, we wasted no time in getting him into sports. Y'all know what I'm talking about if you've had kids. So we wasted no time. He was four years old, and T-ball was what he wanted to do. In fact, we even got our own little tee and the ball, all that kind of stuff at, at the house. And we were, we were able to practice at the house and have a good time with it. And now he's able to get out there with his team and play T-ball. But there's nothing like T-ball. Any of you have actually sat with children and watched and observed little boys and girls playing t-ball it is crazy it is crazy because one of the wonderful things about it is they're not even the remotelyest remotelyest is a new word they're even not the most remote idea of trying to impress one another they're just out there having a good time and when they get out on the field, it can literally turn into a comedy show. I can't remember how many times we would just laugh and laugh at the children, not laugh like making fun of them, but just laugh because it's a comedy show. I mean, I, I have these recollections of T-ball. Like one kid got out there and hit the ball, like, hit the ball, the ball took off, and he just stood there until someone came and he was out. Okay, well, so then everybody got the, got the clue. No, you have to run. When you hit the ball, you run. And everybody was yelling, run to the boy, but he didn't. He just stood there, just, just, just stood there. And, and, and th so another kid gets up, and, and, uh, and he hits the ball. Bam, the ball takes off, and everybody's yelling, run, run. All these moms and dads and coaches, run, run, run. And guess what he does? He runs as fast as he can into the dugout. <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's not where you go. <laughs> you actually get, you got to go to base. And... Uh, and I'm not kidding. This all happened. So another kid gets up and hits the ball. At that point, they're realizing they, they're, not, they're supposed to run to the base. So he hits the ball, and he takes off running to third base. He just ran left. It's like, no, no, you, no, that's not the right direction. He ran to third base. In fact, several of the kids ran to third base, and, of course, they were out. And another one, I, I remember this clearly. The, everybody yelled, run. He knew he wasn't supposed to run to third base, so he ran to the pitcher's mound. You know, ran right up there. Hey, I'm here. No, wrong. That's the wrong place to run. Uh, in fact, there was another time when T-ball looked something like football because this, this, this little boy hit the ball, hit the ball really good, and the ball was tearing off, you know, just gliding across the ground, tearing off as good as it was going to do for T-ball. And, and it's going across the ground, and all the boys, I'm telling you, every one of the boys on, that, on the team 
just started running for the ball. Everybody left their places. Everybody left where they were supposed to be. They all took off running for the ball. And then they saw the ball, and they, they, they literally did a pile-up. They piled up on top of the ball to see who could get it. It was the most hilarious thing. I've never seen anything like that before. And then they finally get up, and the boys are laughing, and they're having the best time. And while, while the other kid went all the way around the bases, with the help from the coaches, of course, went all the way around the bases, missed one, had to go back, figured it out. Out, eventually came back and they got a home run and everybody was still happy the art the, the team that my son was on they were all so very happy because they just got to be in a big pile and they got all dirty that's what they wanted to do they just had they just had fun you know that is childlike humility because nobody got up and was yelling at somebody else for for for, for allowing another home run to happen nobody was angry at another teammate now, <clears throat> the truth is, my son's t-ball team, they never won a game that first year. That's, that's heartbreaking for a parent and their child for you know, their first sports uh, activity. It's, it was heartbreaking. And so at the end of each game, though, my son would say, hey, Dad, did we win? Did we win? <laughs> I said, you know what? You're a winner, son. You're a winner. I wasn't going to lie and say they won because I was not happy about the fact that they didn't win. Uh, but, but it's like, well, you're a winner, son. And he would love that. That's all he wanted to hear. I'm a winner. Yeah, because he was. He just, he, the truth is he never ran to a wrong base. He never, you know, did any of the, the other errors those other children did, you know. So say, you're a winner. You're a winner, son. But there are some good lessons for humility right here. In other words, we don't need to take offenses so seriously. Because when you're taking offenses seriously, you're taking yourself way too serious. You are. I mean, humility is about living simple. It's about living elemental. There's no little child on a t-ball team that takes themselves very seriously. The truth is, when you live like this, live with this kind of humility, even after things were a little crazy, everybody comes out being your buddy. At the end of the game, I mean, even if they ran to the wrong base, at the end of the day, they're still your friend. Even if they fought over the ball with you, you're, you're still in relationship with them. And even if they're on the other team, you still like them. Everybody likes everybody. That is a description of how we can live. Now I want us to look at the biblical example, which is the case study for today, which is in Genesis chapter 50, verse 15. Um, again, I need to give you a little background before I read this passage of Scripture. This is about Joseph. Joseph was his father's favorite. He was the 10th of 12 sons, and Joseph was bragging. He was bragging about these dreams he had from God. And, uh, and these, these dreams were about him having authority over his family and leading his family. Oh, he was the 10th son. Like, how is that going to happen? And it caused his brothers to become angry and resentful. So one day, basically what happened is they were out in the fields, and Joseph was coming to check on them. And they basically said, oh, here comes Mr. Leader. Let's, uh, let's see how good he leads when he's dead because they were angry at him. And so they, instead of killing him, they, they decided to just go ahead and throw him into this pit. And they, and they shoved him, in a sense, into the ditch of offense. He had, Joseph had every reason to be offended. And they took his clothes and they tore him up and they put blood from an animal on him, took him back to the dad and said, oh, he was killed. And, uh, 
And then, but then as, as that was all happening, these, uh, these people were coming by on the road. They're on their way to Egypt. The brother said, hey, you know, let's make some money off this kid. You know, killing him is, you know, whatever, but we can make some money off of him. So let's go ahead and sell him to these people. We can sell him. And be, it's, so he's being trafficked now. Do you understand that? Let's, he's being trafficked, and let's let him go and take him out of, out of our area into Egypt. And like, okay, good, good. So they got their money, and their brother's gone. Their brother's gone for good, and they're happy about it. So Joseph had a very, very good reason to be offended, would you not say? And he didn't just have his feelings hurt, like, oh, they, they frowned at me. They, they looked at me funny. Oh, they, I, I, they, they like bumped me and, and nudged me. Or <laughs> they didn't compliment me. You know. No, it wasn't that kind of whiny stuff that y'all do. I mean, that we, no, no, I mean, that other, the, the other people in town do. No, this was a very, very valid offense. And now he's a slave. He's a slave in a foreign country. His slave master was by the name of Potiphar, a very wealthy and influential man. He had risen up amongst the other slaves, and now he was kind of in charge of Potiphar's house. But Potiphar's wife had the hots for him. She did, and she thought, oh, this baby slave, man, he is so good looking. I like him. And so she was saying, I want to do things with him of the sexual nature. Some of y'all act like we can talk about stuff like that in church, right? If it's in the Bible, can we talk about it? She wanted to have sex with him. So what she did is she kept on and on and on. And so, you know, in today's culture, that it's okay. I know, I know. But, I know, young ears, but uh, Mom and Daddy, you didn't tell me about that at church. Okay. <clears throat> but as she was making these sexual advances toward him, and this happened multiple times, he did not want to do this, and so he took off running one time, and she grabbed his robe and everything, and it was a, it made into this big ordeal. Her husband came home, and she said he tried to rape me, and so it was his word against hers. And so they literally had him thrown into a dungeon. <sighs> Offense. Again, what has Joseph done wrong? Nothing. Actually, he's been living in a lot of humility, yet things keep looking worse and worse and worse to him. He spends two years in this dungeon. Two years. <clears throat> I mean, you, you think about this. You, you think about what Joseph's brothers did, how they lied and how they abused him and how they sold him. He had a reason to be offended, right? You think about Potiphar, how he threw him into prison without hearing the story, really, and that he was wrongly accused, and he was put into prison. Do you think Joseph had a reason to be offended with Potiphar's wife, with Potiphar? Do you think Joseph had a reason to be offended with God? He had every reason in the world to be offended because here he is paying the price for something he never did. I'll tell you guys, none of what came Joseph's way was deserved at all. Well, during those two years when he was in this dungeon, in this prison, he, uh, he kept ministering to the other prisoners. I mean, that's what he does. He's going to minister to people. And, and due to his ministry to these prisoners, it caused him to end up uh, become, coming before the Pharaoh with, a, with an answer to Pharaoh's dreams. So, so then Joseph is now ministering to the king of Egypt. And, 
And uh, he ends up receiving the second most powerful, because of his wisdom, he ends up receiving overnight the second most powerful position in all of Egypt. Understand Egypt was the most, uh, the strongest, greatest country in the, on the face of the earth at that time. Here's the number two guy in charge. All of a sudden is Joseph. He ended up rescuing Egypt. Um, and moreover, he even rescued his own family, including his brother's who sold him, he rescued them all from the seven-year famine that hit the earth. But due to Joseph's humble responses, due to the way that he acted and reacted or didn't react, God allowed miracles to happen for him. Because Joseph never allowed himself to stay in the ditch of offense, even though he was thrown there on occasions in horrible circumstances, he didn't stay there. He crushed the ditch of offense through humility. Now, a little side note here. Nobody has the power to ruin your life. Nobody. You can never say, you ruined my life. Or you No, people may have hurt you. People may have harmed you. But if you take that offense and you stay in the ditch of offense, it was your decision to steer your life there and to stay there. I'm saying not your boss, not your teacher, not some politician, not your spouse. You are the only one who can ruin your life. That's truth right there. And you do it by choosing the ditch of offense and refusing to just simply walk away in childish or childlike humility. Because humility always wins. Get lured into that ditch of defense. Well, now I want us to get to that passage of Scripture I had you turn to because I want you to see how Joseph responds to his brothers when they come to Egypt begging for food so that they can live. He recognizes them, and he sees what's going on, and, and uh, he feeds them, makes sure that they're well taken care of. He brings his whole family to Egypt, and, and, uh, and then finally his father died. Making the most long story as short as possible, his father died. And now it's him living with his brothers and their families in Egypt. Okay, now it's going to be crazy because dad's out of the picture. Genesis chapter 50, verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, Well, what if Joseph holds a grudge, an offense, against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? All the wrongs. There were a lot of things, obviously, that happened there. So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. Keep in mind, this is a lie. They're making up a lie. They're still doing it, guys. They're, st- they're still doing it. They're making up a lie. So they, they sent word to Joseph saying, well, your father left these instructions before he died. Now, why didn't the father say this to Joseph himself? Well, think about it, okay. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brother's the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. So they said, so now please forgive the sins of the servants of the the God of your father. And, you know, it's just like they're not even saying forgive us of our sins. It's forgive us the sins of the, you know, because it's all about our dad. And it's a mess. They're making up lies. Keep reading on. So when their message came to him, you know what Joseph did? He wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We're your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, look at this. Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God 
you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and he spoke kindly to them. So Joseph, the second most powerful political leader around, he said, don't be afraid because I'm not in the place of God. See, that is humility. And, and he said, even if you were sinned against, there is no reason for you to, to operate in vengeance or try to pay a person back for what they did. There is no there is no excuse for that whatsoever. I know the culture says you have to. You have to pay back. No, you don't. In fact, that's, that's, that's very dangerous. That's why he says, I'm not in the place of God. Why? It's because that's God's job. God does that. God will, and hear me well, God will do a much better job at dealing with a vengeance than you ever could. He will. He'll do a much better job. My encouragement here is never, ever, ever take the position of God. He takes vengeance, not us. See, that's humility. Uh, Joseph, I mean, he went through some intense, crazy pain. And, and I, don't, I don't know about you, but I don't like pain. I loathe it. I, it's like I, when pain comes, I don't like it. But the truth is, God uses pain. Even the pain of other people, pain, pain that others have inflicted upon you. And maybe even they have knowingly inflicted pain on you. God will use that pain. See, Joseph's brothers had a strategy to inflict pain on him, to get rid of him, so they didn't have to see him anymore because they didn't like him. But God then used that, used that strategy, and he used that pain to bring healing and help to an entire nation and to actually rescue his own brothers who had created the pain in the first place. Now, that's crazy. See. So, you, what, what you have to do is we have to begin to take the pain in our lives and turn it around into gain. And humility will help transform that pain into gain because humility wins. I mean, if nothing good has resulted from your pain yet, just keep your heart right. Keep walking in humility, and it will. Again, Solomon says this, he who covers over an offense promotes love i don't want you in that ditch of defense and i uh, of offense and i've been there too many times that the ditch of offense stinks uh it's it's halted my spiritual progress and and uh and so therefore i've left, lived with this lofty goal it's a very lofty goal it's not easy but i just want to be unoffendable i want to crush offense every time it tries to creep into my life because i don't want to live in that ditch and with God's help, I'll be able to continue to do that. But it will only happen by my choice to walk in humility and to simply refuse to react and to steer myself into the ditch of defense. Why? It's because non-offended people get the blessings. Get this, get this. Non-offended people get the blessings. Wallowing in the ditch of offense will hinder your prayers and it will stop the blessing of God in your life. And humility will give you the strength to steer yourself right back out of that ditch. Jesus said this, when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. You see, you've got to do this first. You've got to forgive so that God will forgive you. This is, this is how it works, my friend. And then that opens yourself up to the blessings of God. And 
Today, if you can receive this and embrace this and forgive from the bottom of your heart, you can leave here with more freedom than you walked in here. I mean, 100% different. Right now, I mean, I, I, I want you to think of somebody. I want you to get someone in your mind that you've been resentful toward. Someone that said or did something or didn't say something or didn't do the right thing that you felt they should have. Or maybe someone who just literally sinned against you like Joseph's brothers did. I want you to get a person in your mind. And I want you to simply make the choice today to initiate, to initiate your deliverance from that ditch of offense. Watch what God will do. I want you to release forgiveness from the bottom of your heart. And uh, after church, you know, if they live in this city, you need to take action today. Call them up. Go meet them somewhere. Have lunch with them. Stop by their house. I know we don't do that anymore, but stop by their house. <laughs> you know, they might be all, all the way across the country. Give them a call. Write a letter. Send them a letter. Send them like a real, real letter in the mail. There's something potent about that, just to write a letter. I've done that many times, and man, it's so freeing. It's so liberating. And if worse comes to worse, you can always send them a text message. You know, it's kind of lame, but you can still do that. It still helps. Find a way to do that. If you, have, you might say, but, but they're deceased. They're dead. They're not on this earth anymore. Well, then what you're going to do is you need to release them to God and refuse to hold on to that unforgiveness you had uh, against them. I mean, they're not even here anymore. Get out of the ditch of offense. How are you still allowing a person who is dead, they're not even alive anymore, to control your current life? Get out of that ditch of offense and watch what God will do. Humility, you'll find, will bring your greatest spiritual victory. And God wants you to have this freedom. God wants you to have this. God does not want you to operate in the stress and affliction that you've been carrying because you've been wallowing in this ditch of offense. God wants to set you free, your mind and your emotions. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. This is this. This is what the Lord says. This is where you get to choose right now stand at the crossroads and look you see because in one direction is going the route of humility the other one is the route of vengeance and holding it holding the unforgiveness this sermon has put you at a crossroads so stand at the crossroads and look so, so don't make a quick decision just look consider your options I've laid it out for you very clearly today. And ask God, God, show me the ancient path. What is the path that you desire? What is the path that you recommend? Ask where the good way is. What is the good way? That, way, that word way means road. What is the good road? God, show me which one I should take. And then walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. I'll tell you Humility is that ancient path. Walk in it. And you'll find rest. Rest in your mind. Rest in your emotions. First thing I want to do today is make sure our lives are right with God. And then I want us to release some forgiveness before we move into water baptism. I'd like for there to be no movement in the room right now. I want you to open up your heart to the Lord. Just whisper to God, Holy Spirit, speak to me. Holy Spirit, speak to me. If you're here today and you're not in right relationship with Jesus, 
were to return today or if you were to pass from this earthly life today auto accident or something if you're not sure about eternity the most important thing that you can do is to make sure your life is right with God that is so 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 critically important and with nobody looking around if that's you I'm going to count to three and I'm going to ask you to raise your hand for me and I'm going to see your hand I'll, I'll see who you are and I'm, I'm going to connect my faith with you I'm gonna, we're going to pray together we're going to believe God for the greatest miracle of all which is salvation before we do anything else this is the most important thing that we do so if that's you today, if you have that sin in your life, you need to get free from that. You want to get set your, you want your life to be set on the road for eternity. Count of three, lift your hand. One, two, three, all across the room. Thank you, hold, keep them held up. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Put your hands down, anyone else? Lift your hand one more time. Anyone else, I mean, anyone else? You didn't lift your hand, thank you. If you lifted your hand, I want you to pray these words with me. And church, I'm asking you to pray these words also as an encouragement to those who lifted their hands today as they make the decision to follow Christ. Pray this with me. Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Wash me in your precious blood. Today I make the choice to give up my past and to embrace your future, the future you have for me. Today I choose to walk away from my sin and to serve you, Jesus, with all my heart, with all my life. Thank you for making me a new creation. In Jesus' name, Jesus' name, amen. Before we go any further, I want you to consider that person that you need to release forgiveness toward. See, I'm not asking you for names. I, I can't see into your mind. I don't know who it is. It may be somebody in this room somebody on this platform, maybe me, I don't know, maybe the person sitting next to you, but you need to release that forgiveness. Would you, would you just, in all humility right now, just do that? Pray these words with me, and I want you to mean it from the bottom of your heart, guys. You gotta mean it. Jesus, your word has convicted me, and I've stood at the crossroads and I see the direction I should take. I am choosing now to follow the way of humility. And I choose to release that person. I choose to release them with forgiveness. I forgive you from the bottom of my heart. Come on, even as you're saying it, it, it just can see yourself saying it to them right now. I forgive you the bottom of my heart. Come on, say it again. I forgive you from the bottom of my heart. Come on, say it, guys. I forgive you from the bottom of my heart. Keep praying with me here. Lord Jesus, give me the courage to stay on this path, the path of humility, to walk this thing out. I'm no longer going to blame. I'm no longer going to stay in this ditch. I want my freedom, and I want to operate under the blessing of God. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. God is beginning some healing work. I gave you some instructions on what you should do after this. I really want you to do that. Follow the word of God.
Thank you for tuning in to the City Life Podcast. If you're interested in attending our Sunday service or would like more information, go to citylifefw.org.